They all agreed that we have to keep uh, the government open. They have to do that, right? And so as it relates to the process and how they're going to do that, I'm going to let the negotiators and uh, congressional members uh, deal with that. They can figure that out. But it is important. It is important that we keep the government open. And I hear what you're saying about Mitch McConnell staying until the end of the year. But with respect to Ukraine aid, based on his comments today, are you concerned that there just isn't support for Ukraine aid among many Republicans in Congress I, and, that there, and that there won't be, that they won't be able to get the votes well, for that. I, I disagree. There is actually support for Ukraine. There is bipartisan support in the House. I mean, they got it, certainly, from the Senate, right? They passed 70 to 29, a national security supplemental that, include, that included aid to Ukraine. They just did that. Now we want to see that go to the floor of the House. And we have heard from Republicans who have said that if it came to the floor, they would vote for it. So that's what we want to see. So we actually believe their support uh, in, 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 with House Republicans, obviously with Democrats, to move uh, that really all-important national security supplemental that is needed uh, for uh, not just for Ukraine and obviously Israel and, and Indo-Pacific and what we need to do there and getting that humanitarian aid, obviously, uh, to uh, folks, innocent Palestinians who need it in Gaza, but also for our own national security. It is important that we get done. I talked about this yesterday. During the Big Four meeting, we had the CIA director that was in that meeting that laid out the dire consequences and what we have seen in Ukraine as they have lost, uh, you know, they have lost ground on the battlefield. And it is because of congressional inaction. They laid that out for them. Uh, and, so, and so, look, the CIA director was clear in that meeting. We have been clear. And they all agreed. They all agreed. All four agreed that we needed to move forward on this. Uh, thanks. Can you talk a little bit about the President's prep for the State of the Union next week? How involved has he been so far in the drafting of the speech and where that process stands a week out? So look, we still have a little bit more time left. The President, obviously, this is a uh, the president sees this as an incredibly important opportunity, not just to address Congress, but also uh, to uh, uh, to address the American people. Millions of people, millions of Americans are going to be watching and listening uh, to the president talk about the State of the Union, uh, obviously, and how he's going to move forward uh, with uh, with his plans for on behalf of the American people. As it relates to the draft, it's always in progress, obviously, almost always, almost almost always uh, uh, to the end, to the final final uh, minute, and so. The president is going to be heavily involved, as he has been for the last two. Uh, he's looking forward to this moment. Uh, we still, we're still about a week away, and so uh, there's still time. There's still time. And, and he's going to Camp David this weekend. Is that meant to be practice sessions? Is he bringing people up there with him to? So look, he's going to work. He's going to work on the State of the Union address. He's going to continue to work on behalf of uh, the American people ha as he's there. Uh, and so look, there's going to be obviously focus on on the speech. Uh, just don't have anything else to share. We'll We'll have more color for you as we get closer, uh, closer to next Thursday. And of course, should we expect travel after the State of the Union? Would he be doing that traditional take the message on the road? The president likes to be on the road and talk directly to the American people. So certainly, you'll ex you should expect the president to get on the road uh, as he normally does. Okay. Uh, thanks, Green. Uh, on, on the matter of the president's physical, I, I know in, in years past, Dr. O'Connor has put out a, a memo to you that gets released yeah. to us. The president is the oldest person to ever serve as president, and I, I know that you, know, you said he takes cognitive tests every day for doing the job, and Dr. O'Connor has said that uh, he remains healthy enough to exercise his various responsibilities. Having said that, why has, is uh, the president or uh, your office not 
willing to make Dr. O'Connor available to us uh, to answer questions here. Previous presidents yeah. have put their doctors up at that lectern. Uh, why why so, not? This so one? a couple of things, Andrew, and the president said that they thought he was too young. So, you know, you heard from the president, he talked about this uh, when he was asked. And so, look, as it relates to Dr. O'Connor, look, this is someone who has served under Republican and Democratic uh, presidents in the White House as a military physician, extensively in the field as well. Uh, and uh, and so he is well respected. And let's not remember, let's not forget there was a, he, has, he did this with a team, a team of 20, 20 doctors who participated in completing uh, the president's uh, physical at Walter Reed. So it wasn't just him. There were uh, specialists that were part of this as well. And uh, and I think that's important to note. And I said at the, at the beginning when I wait, let me finish. I said at the beginning when um, I was asked this question, it's not just Dr. O'Connor who said this. Also, his neurologists do not believe that he needed. That was their assessment. They they did not believe he needed a cognitive test. As it relates to your question, uh, there is not a precedent uh, for bringing the doctor to uh, to the podium and or to the briefing room. Like, I understand it has happened a few times over the last 35 years, a couple of times, but it is actually not the precedent. And so what Dr. O'Connor has done is he has put forward over the last two years a comprehensive, robust, uh, robust memo, as you just stated, that is sent to me, and then obviously we uh, disseminate it to all of you, that lays out, lays out in parts uh, of the president's physical. And I think that's important. It is, it is robust and it is comprehensive. That, that being said, I know it hasn't been you know, a, a yearly thing for every president, but given the president's age, given that his age is a concern for Americans, according to polling, it is an issue, and he that he is the oldest person to ever serve as president. Why would it not help, in in your estimation, to put Dr. O'Connor or any of the other uh, medical unit physicians that uh, that saw the president up there to answer questions, not necessarily from you know all of us, but some of our colleagues who are medical correspondents, uh, people who really know know the medical field. Uh, can he be made available uh, to some of them, even if you don't want to put him up here? I'm not a doctor. The, the doctor, the right, and I'm, and that's why I'm telling you. And you will see from the doctor himself. And in, in a couple of hours, we will uh, certainly make this robust, comprehensive memo, as we have done the last two years, available to all of you. And the reason I said I'm not a doctor is because his own doctor, his personal doctor, as well as the neurologist, has said that we don't need to have a cognitive test as it relates to the the. the doctor coming to uh, coming to the briefing room it is not a, a norm we're trying to get back to the norm that it was it used to be where doctors don't come to the briefing room it is not it is not the norm it is not it has happened a couple times over the 35 years but it's not the norm and so look the the doctor has also said that look he is he is a professional here. Uh, he doesn't want to make this about politics. He wants to make this about the work. He wants to make this about uh, making sure that we put forward to, to you, he puts forward to all of you, a robust, comprehensive uh, memo. And that is what we, we're going to do. We did it the last two years, and we're going to do it again. Okay, one more on, on Gaza and uh, the Michigan results last night. Uh, there are many, uh, many voters in Michigan, Arab American voters, uh, who have said that they uh, they cannot vote for the president again because of what has transpired in Gaza. 
There are many who voted uncommitted to register their disapproval but remain open <clears throat> to voting for the president in November. Uh, what is he going to do between now and November to uh, assuage the, the concerns of people who in many cases have lost family members, have, have seen uh, horrible things happen to people they love over there, and they've seen him literally go over and hug the man that they believe is responsible. Uh, how is he going to clean that up? So look, and I've answered this uh, already, and I'll say it, maybe I'll say it in this way. Look, the president understands. He understands how painful uh, this moment is to many people. He gets that, which is why he has had conversations uh, with the Arab and Muslim, uh, Muslim community, listened directly to them and heard their concerns. You've, you've heard me say just moments ago how senior officials went to Michigan and listened and engaged, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, and. Um, this is why he is continuing to work on securing a hostage deal. This is why he is continuing to work to do just that. And if we do that, which is going to be accompanied by a temporary ceasefire, uh, that is going to be important. Uh, it isn't going to be important to do. And his team has made that a priority. Uh, we're going to continue to get that done. And let's not forget, we got to continue to make sure we get to a, a two-state solution. And so those are the those are the commitments that the president has made. And as it relates to um, the pain that that community is going through, obviously we're going to continue to listen, we're going to continue to engage, and we understand how painful this is for so many, for so many in this country. Thanks, Kareem. Um, do you know, will the report from Dr. O'Connor include the rationale for not doing a cognitive test? I believe uh, that, uh, as I said, the report would be robust and comprehensive. It will uh, certainly speak to that as well. And do you know, does the president have any plans to go to Michigan in the coming weeks or months? And, and might that include meeting with Arab American leaders? So I don't want to get ahead of, of the president's schedule. Uh, obviously, the president's going to do um, a lot of travel over the next uh, several weeks and months. I uh, just don't have anything to share specifically on Michigan. Thank you, Corrine. Um, why go to Brownsville, Texas, specifically? Look, I think the president, uh, and I said this at the top, and I've said this many times, he wanted to show uh, that uh, it was important for him uh, to go down there to hear from uh, Border Patrol agents, to hear uh, from first responders and what's going on on the ground. He's been, uh, he's been to the border before recently in his administration, and he also wants to lay out uh, the work that he has been able to do with, sen with senators in a, in a bipartisan way. We were able to come, come forward to the American people, push forward a bipartisan bill that dealt with the border, the challenges at the border, that also dealt with a broken immigration system. We were able to do that. And, you know, as I said, as I've said many times, it was support, it's supported by the Border Patrol Union, U.S. US uh, Chambers of Commerce, uh, and that is not something that you see every day. But what we ended up, what ended up happening is that Republicans rejected it. They rejected it because of the last president and the politics around uh, the last president. And so, look, the president's going to, he said, we actually even said uh, that once that bill was killed uh, by Republicans, that, that the American people are going to hear directly from the, American, from, from the president. Well, the reason I ask is because Brownsville is one of the slower sectors. Um, in the month of February, they averaged, I think, 17 illegal crossings a day for 
a little more than 450 in the month. The number one sector has had more than 14,000 in the same time period. This administration has often criticized Republicans when they go to the border and hold similar press conferences as saying that they're doing publicity stunts and photo ops. So how is this any different? Oh, it's very different. What House Republicans have done is nothing, absolutely nothing. If anything, uh, they consistently get in the way. Uh, they consistently get in the way of what the president is trying to do to get more resources. They are turning this into a political stunt by listening uh, to Donald Trump and saying that they need to kill it. This is what they've been doing uh, and making it political. Where the president got his team, you know, directed his team to work with senators, both Republicans and Democrats, to get a bill done. It's not actually see the parts of the border where it's actually I really think, bad. I think you're missing the point. The point is the president actually did the work to get a bipartisan bill done that, act, that deals with an issue that the majority of Americans care about. He did. It dealt with border security challenges. It dealt with immigration ish, uh, policy. He actually did that. Republicans got in the way. They rejected it. Well, Republicans in the House got in the way, and then it was rejected because of what they were told by the last by the last president, by Donald Trump, to kill it. They literally, literally, Jackie, put politics ahead of the American people. That's what they did. What do you say to people, though, who think that this is just an election year stunt? Finally hearing about the we border were, after it's been a problem for the last three I mean, years. Here's the thing. Here's what I would say. On the first day of this president administration, he put out a comprehensive immigration policy to deal with this issue. He did that on the first day. That was his first piece of legislation. I would hope the American people would see how serious this president was or is about, about fixing this issue. Not only that, spent four months, four months, having a bipartisan conversation, doing negotiations to come up with a, with a, with a bill, with a, a proposal that was, again, approved by the Border Patrol Union, right? That was, that's supported by U.S. Chamber of Commerce. We don't see that. And that's because of the president's direction of what he was able to do because he got involved and worked with Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. And then when we got this bill done, by the way, it included a lot of things that House Republicans wanted. When we got that done, it was rejected because of politics. I mean, that's where we are. That is where we are. So the president's going to make that very clear and take it directly to the American people. Karina, has the president spoken to the family of Lake and Hope Riley, the young Georgia student who was murdered allegedly at the hands of an undocumented immigrant? So first of all, I, I do want to extend uh, our deepest condolences to the family and loved ones of Lake and Hope Riley. Uh, given this is an active uh, case, I'm going to be really careful about uh, speaking to that case more specifically. I would have to refer any anything specific to that uh, to that case to law enforcement and obviously ICE. And I, the president, I don't have anything uh, uh, regarding to the president speaking to the family, but it is heartbreaking. I, I can't even imagine what the family's going through. And so, um, but uh, anything else specifically, I would have to refer you to ICE and law enforcement. Just for clarity, when you say you don't have anything else in regards to them speaking so we can assume that they haven't spoken to this point at least. I just don't have anything to read out to you. If they have spoken, will you correct us and let us, let us know that there is some uh, that you can I, I would, we would, we would let you know. I just don't have anything for you. Perfect. Uh, you, you got a lot of questions about Michigan. I just want to ask this a little bit differently. I know the president understood, uh, understands the way the people of the uncommitted community um, felt in registering their votes. What message does the president think was being sent by those 100,000 Michiganders? 
what does he believe they want to see him do? Look, I, I can't speak for them, right? I, I, no, seriously, I can't. What well, I yeah, can. Yeah, but the White House has spoken to them, so I guess presumably the White House would know what what they want to see him do. Well, what we're doing, what I can tell you that we're going to continue to do is listen, and we understand how painful it is for the community. That is why. I, let's not forget. That is why, and I think that's what you're alluding to in your in your question to me. Uh, he's had his senior advisors, uh, senior officials, go to Michigan to have those conversations with that community, uh, Arab, Arab and uh, Muslim leaders, and we're going to continue that conversation. Uh, and he believes it's important for people to feel like their voice is being heard. That's our, our message. But let's not forget, we're, there's also work to be done, which is what the president's been doing for the last, you know, last several months, 24-7 with his team, getting that hostage deal so that it can lead to a temporary ceasefire. We want to make sure that happens, and the president is going to work very hard to secure that and, and getting to a two-state solution. I haven't spoken to the leader of the House, uh, the House Democratic leader in the state house there in Michigan just yesterday, one of the messages that was communicated in that conversation was his desire, A, to communicate this message directly to the president, so is that under consideration, A, and B, um, that the president not just continue to make efforts to get the hostages out, but that the U.S. policy change vis-a-vis -vis Israel and what it's doing is Gaza. Is the president open to changing course in that regard, which includes pro the provision of weapons to Israel? So look the U.S. policy is not going to change on this, but what we can do is get to a temporary ceasefire so we can get that humanitarian aid into into Gaza to the, the innocent people of, of uh, the Palestinian people who need that aid. And you heard me, you heard us announce yesterday about the $53 million that was announced uh, by Administrator Powers, and we believe that's also important to do, to continue to do that, get that. Uh, get the food that's needed to get in there, and also uh, incredible, in incredibly important medical supply as well. And so we're going to continue to work with Israel on getting that done as well, making sure we get that humanitarian aid. We believe getting to a temporary ceasefire is important. Of course the president wants to see this war end, of course. And that's what he's working towards, getting a temporary ceasefire, making sure there are hostages that are being held in Gaza. Their families and their friends, and six Americans, exactly. Their family and friends want them to come home. We got to make sure that we get them home as well. So that's where we're focused on. That's what the president, he spoke about it just a couple days ago, obviously, when he was in New York. He's hopeful we're going to continue to work towards that end. Thank you. Thank you. In two weeks from now, uh, there will be third anniversary of the first Quad Summit, which the president held here three, weeks, three years ago. Uh, in these three years, what has been achieved in the Quad Front? Do the challenges remain the same? So I would say, I would say this: um, the president is incredibly proud of the progress uh, the Quad has made over the past three years. Uh, to your point, the anniversary is coming up, and we're we are hoping uh, to continue that momentum in 2024 under India's uh, host year, as you just stated. And we're talking about not just the United States, obviously India, uh, Japan, and Australia. And we all have a shared uh, a shared vision here of a free, open, and prosperous Indo-Pacific. Uh, the Quad is helping all of our nations deliver concrete benefits uh, to the Indo-Pacific across a number of critical, important uh, sectors. So we look forward to continuing that progress uh, for the Quad in 2024, not just in 2024, uh, but also beyond. As Quad has made significant progress, as you said, President from another group of four countries called I2U2, uh, Israel, US, UAE, and India. 
in the context of the war that's going on in the Middle East, has this grouping taken a back burner? Is no longer active? No, not at all. Still a priority. I too, you too, remains critically important, uh, and the president is is um, uh, deeply committed uh, to making sure that we continue with I too, you too, obviously with our partnership among our four uh, countries and beyond through innovative, inclusive, and science-based solutions to an advance and not forget enhance food and energy security, space operation, and other ventures advancing projects on water conservation, waste management, and other areas. Uh, so there is a strong future for I2U2, and so we're looking forward to continuing uh, that partnership. And his not taking a back burner is uh, certainly a prior continues to be a priority. Uh, one more question, if I may. As the president heads to other borders tomorrow uh, on illegal immigration, there are many groups, mostly Indian Americans, who feel that president is not much as serious as he is on illegal immigration is not much serious and legal immigration systems. He hasn't held any meetings with those groups, what the, what the problems are, what the issues are. Um, can you give us a sense what the steps the President has taken to address them? So one of the steps, if we look at H-1B visa process, uh, we have taken action to improve that uh, the, and the process and backlogs for lawful permanent residents who are eligible to become U.S. citizens. Uh, just last month, for example, as a part of our efforts to strengthen the integrity of our immigration system and reduce potential for, uh, for fraud, DHS published a final rule relating to H-1B visas. So the changes promote fairer and more equitable outcomes. And so we will continue our work to improve the system within our authorities. And that has certainly been a priority. Obviously, um, I would refer you to U.S. Citizens and Immigration Services for any specifics on the actions that we have uh, taken, uh, but we take that very seriously and we continue to do everything that we can to improve uh, the uh, visas process. Uh, Thank you, Kathleen. Uh, uh, the U.S. want uh, South Korea to provide more 155-millimeter artillery cells to Ukraine. The South Korea has already provided more artillery cells to Ukraine than Europe. Why does the U.S. demand more support from South Korea? I'm going to let uh, South Korea speak to their own, uh, their own military decisions and their bilateral uh, relations. We are grateful. We are grateful uh, for their support to, to Ukraine, obviously, as they continue to defend uh, against the, uh, Russia's aggression. So we are grateful for that. But I'm not going to speak uh, to uh, their own military decisions. That is something for them to speak to. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Green. I appreciate it. Um, so the under executive order the president signed today, um, if I could, what's the level of concern of the president that uh, apps like TikTok and Timu are sending data now, the private data now, to the Chinese Communist Party? So look, we, we do have concerns, which is why we put out this EO, which we've never seen any other administration do before, right? And it is uh, to protect American sensitive personal data uh, from exploitation by countries of concern. And the most significant executive action that we have seen from any president, any president has ever taken. And so, look, it is important. Uh, I think, uh, I think it, it, uh, it, it, as I stated at the top, uh, when you think about the buying data through data brokers, is currently legal. It's legal in the United States, and that reflects a gap in our national security. So this is about national security. This is about uh, people's privacy, uh, Americans' privacy. And so what we're going to do, what this EO is going to do, is going to narrow that uh, uh, by by carefully crafting steps uh, to move forward here, where we're protecting uh, the privacy of Americans. Then how come uh, the president's campaign then is on TikTok if there's such a concern? 
So look, I'm going to let uh, I'm going to let uh, the campaign speak for itself. Uh, I know this question has come in a couple of times. I'm going to let them speak for itself as it relates to uh, TikTok or the impact of TikTok or any other companies. Look, this program does not target any one uh, company or or uh, cover expressive uh, ex content. Uh, but if a company is collecting Americans' data on a large scale that falls under one of the covered categories, such as precise geolocation data, that data won't be able to be sold to tr or transferred to the country of concern once the rulemaking process is complete. So as you know, when the president signs an executive action, there's a rulemaking process, uh, but uh, we believe that this is going to make a difference in for our national security and also for the American people in perfect protecting their privacy. So it's important. Okay. Thank you very much, Karin. So tomorrow marks the fourth anniversary of the Doha agreement between Washington and Taliban. Uh, following the withdrawal from Afghanistan, Washington has repeatedly said that the Taliban needs to fulfill their commitments in the agreement. What specific parts or the commitments does the administration want the Taliban to be to fulfill under this agreement? So a couple of things here, and I know my colleague at the State Department was asked this question and spoke to this uh, earlier today. So it has been four years since the previous administration signed, as you know, the 2020 agreement with the Taliban. This agreement empowered the Taliban, uh, weakened our partners in, in, Af in the Afghan government, uh, and committed to withdraw our troops. Uh, a few months after President Biden's inauguration, as you know, uh, with no clean, clear path uh, plan for, for what could come next. That's what we saw. The Taliban have not fulfilled their commitments in the Doha agreement. The Taliban has also not fulfilled their Doha commitment to engage in a meaningful dialogue with fellow Afghans, leading to a negotiated settlement and inclusive political system. So we continue to hold uh, the Taliban uh, to their commitments, and we are working tirelessly every day to ensure that this set of commitments is fulfilled. And that has been how we're moving forward on that. Is there any plan for VP to do her physical checkup? Uh, you would have to speak to the VP's office. Go ahead. Okay. Good. 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 Thank you. Um, back on the EO, so you talked about how it narrows this, uh, this gap that exists in federal law. You would need legislation to fully close that loophole? Yes, we always need Congress to take action here, but we're going to take the step to narrow it. Uh, there's going to be, as you know, a process here, uh, and so uh, we're going to let that process take place. But this is a step. This is, this is, let's not forget, this is a, a step that no other president has taken. And we want to make sure that we're protecting our national security. Uh, we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can also to protect Americans' privacy. Is there sort of engagement now with Congress on what that legislation would look like, what it is that, that needs to happen? I guess what's that next step after this step, right? Well, look, we're going to do, there's going to be a rulemaking process. We, as, as the president signed this, right, DOJ is going to move forward on this. Uh, and so it's important. They'll have additional details as the executive, as how it moves with the executive action. And we're always talking to Congress on a on a on a myriad of of important uh, agendas uh, items, obviously that matter to the American people. That will continue. Okay, Nadia. Thank you, Karen. Two questions. Um, the White House considers Israeli settlements as an obstacle to peace. In fact, it clashes with the president's vision of a two-state solution. So Israel is intending to build 3,000 new units to one of the biggest settlements in the West Bank, which is Mali Alim. So do you see this as the Prime Minister Netanyahu defiance against the president and making his vision of a two-state solution redundant? You say that last part? Netanyahu, by building these settlements that yeah. clashes with the White House vision of a two-state solution. 
redundant. Is he def def President Biden? I mean, look, uh, we have uh, certainly seen these reports, and we've been really clear about how disappointed we are uh, by by the announcement, right? And uh, and look, uh, it has been longstanding under U.S. policy under both Democratic and Republican administration that new settlements are indeed contraproductive, as you just stated in your question, uh, as we try to uh, head to, to peace, right? Uh, they are also inconsistent with international law. So uh, we, uh, we're we going to continue to be firm in opposition to settlement expansion. Uh, I don't have anything else to share. Obviously, we continue to have diplomatic conversations with uh, the Israeli government. Uh, but we are going to be very clear about our disappointment in this. Uh, it is it, it is it, it is not that has not been our, our longstanding uh, U.S. policy has been very clear under both Republican and Democratic administrations on this specific okay, issue. The $53 million in humanitarian aid. Mm -hmm. The problem that many people see, especially UN or, um, organizations and agencies on the ground, is the method. How can you get this this money or this aid to people who are starving? Yeah. Um, some countries have been doing airdropping of food, like Jordan and other countries. So why can't the U.S. do the same? So. Um, I don't have anything to share with you about the airdropping. If we're considering that, is that something that we're going to do? Just don't have anything to share about that. But look, this is, again, why it's so important to get to this hostage deal, why it's so important to get to this temporary ceasefire. We need to get all important humanitarian aid into Gaza, to the innocent people of, Palest of the Palestinian people, to make sure that they have what they need, whether it's food, whether it is uh, medical assistance. We understand that. And as you just mentioned, $53 million was just announced by USAID uh, to, to uh, help in that process. But we have to get to this hostage deal. We have to. It is important to get the hostages home and that aid in and get that temporary ceasefire. So the president's going to work on this, continues to work on this 24-7. He's committed to this. He wants to make sure that we secure that deal. Okay, go ahead, way in the back. Thanks. Um, the former president, his people, are saying that the only reason President Biden is going this week is because former President Trump was going to go and he wanted to not lose this issue. It, so can you give us a sense of what the planning process was to go this I mean, week? That's, I mean, look, you guys have covered this president and other presidents for some time. Uh, we just can't all of a sudden put something on the president's schedule, right? It takes time to do that. The president has been very clear that he was going to take this issue directly to the American people. He has said that. When Republicans rejected that Senate, Senate bipartisan bill on border security, on the immigration uh, policy, right, to fix a broken system that has been broken for decades, he said he was going to take it directly to the American people. And also, at the same time, hear from law enforcement and fr frontline uh, personnel who deal with this issue every day. And obviously, he's going to make he's going to give remarks. But he's been very clear about this uh, that he was going to take it directly to the American people. Uh, he is going because it's important for the American people to hear directly from him. He is going because it's important to highlight that. Republicans are getting in the way here. They are getting in the way. They had rejected a deal that parts of that that deal they wanted and they rejected it. Uh, so this is not about politics for this president. This is about 
how we're going to fix an issue that majority of Americans care about. A broken immigration system, the challenges at the border, that's why the president thought it was important to go at this time. And on that point, does he feel that uh, Republicans' rejection of the bill, or of the compromise bill, of the, uh, the product that the Senate put together, does that allow him to flip the script, to go on the offense on this issue? I mean, I believe we are on the offense. We believe we are on the offense. Four months. Let's not forget, it took four months to get this done. And work in a good faith. And, let, and we have said, if this bill was able to get it to become law, it would have been, yes, the toughest, but also the fairest that we have seen in some time. And look, we believe we're on the offense because we did the work with the Senate in a bipartisan way for four months. And Republicans rejected it. They allowed politics to get in the way. When you work in a bipartisan way, right, in good faith, you're putting politics aside and you're trying to get something done on behalf of the American people. That's what the president did. All right, everybody. See you on Friday. Thank you. Thank you.